When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, Tommy, welcome to episode number six of our Talking Cars podcast. Did you know that we're number one in cars and trucks? Yeah, I'm not so sure that's true, Dad. <laughs> Are we number two? No, I think there's about six people listening right now. But of you six listening, thank you so much for joining us. Yep, and today we're going to be talking about the top ten affordable budget Jeep off-roaders you can buy when you want to go off-road and want to do it on a budget. Uh, and these are vehicles that in most part we have owned. We're going to be talking about what to look for, what not to look for, what makes them good, what makes them strong. Do you guys love cars? Well, we've got a new podcast that will keep you entertained for hours from on-road to off-road, from Corvette to Jeeps. Check out tflcar.com slash podcast or go to wherever you get your podcast, including iTunes, Google Podcast or Spotify. Let's get right to it, Tommy, and start with number 10 on our list, which has to be, drum roll please, oh, you got two here, uh, the first and second generation Nissan Frontier slash Xterra, because they are very similar. So let's talk about the Frontier slash Xterra. We outlined a budget of just $5,000, because that's about what's typical of someone in the U.S. looking to buy a second or a third car to go play out in the wilderness, right? And the Frontier and Xterra fits into that budget Perfectly. Now, the reason we have two different generations is because depending on what you're looking for, you can actually get either generation for around five grand, believe it or not. So the very first generation Frontier and Xterra, as well as the second generation. And to put it in perspective, the second generation Frontier came out in 2004, and it's virtually the same truck you can go out buy brand new in 2020. Now. A second generation Frontier 2004 are going to be maybe five, six grand on the low end. Same thing with the Xterras. And whichever one you get, they are very well made, very reliable, super capable, and pretty modifiable as well. Yeah, let's talk about um, the Xterra since this is talking cars and not talking trucks, even though there are some trucks on this list. But for the most part, these are cars. Um, the Xterra was basically built on the Frontier platform. So it's got all the off-road goodies that the Frontier offers, which includes, of course, a low-speed transfer case, uh, depending on the model, a locking rear diff. And if you got the Pro 4X model, then you got a lot more off-roady stuff like better shocks, uh, rails, rock rails, uh, skid plates, you know, all the stuff that uh, you'd want. Now, the thing about the Xterras... Uh, at least the ones that I've seen out there are that they are relatively bulletproof. So, you know, in terms of the engine, it's got the 
corporate V6, which is what's what's the designation of that engine? Do you the remember VQ? The VQ, yeah, yeah, it's been in every Nissan forever now. Uh, so lots of parts, easy to fix, uh, thirsty, uh, but very dependable. Um, they also have um, basically one of my favorite features, which is I think something they borrowed. Shall I say stolen uh, from Land Rover slash Range Rover, and that is stadium seating. So basically, the second row of seats is a little bit higher than the first row of seats. So when you're sitting in the back, you're kind of looking over the front row passengers, which is nice when you're off road. Xterra's also, depending on the trim, can have integrated roof lights. Yep. So like the Pro 4Xs have these covers that you can pull off. Number of transmissions, the six-speed manual is awesome in those vehicles. But the very earliest ones, I'm talking like 06, had some issues where I believe a transmission, um, excuse me, a coolant line would break and flood the transmission control module, which was a huge issue. But they resolved that pretty early on, and once they resolved that, both the Frontier and the Xterras are super great budget off-roaders. Now, in terms of aftermarket community, it's a pretty big aftermarket community. It's not quite as big as the Toyota world, right? But then you're not paying Toyota prices because <laughs> good luck finding like an 05 or an 06 Forerunner for anywhere near five grand. whereas the Frontiers and the Xterras are very gettable. Other things you need to know, independent front suspension, not a solid front axle, but for overlanding, for carrying a lot of stuff, both of them are great options. I really wish they would keep building the Xterra. I think it would be a huge seller right now. But they don't, so for just five, six grand in some cases, the uh, Xterra is not a bad choice. Yeah, and you know, before they stopped making it, which was like, what, five years ago now, six years ago or something like that, that they actually stopped making the Xterra, uh, it had developed quite an overland slash off-road following. And what I mean by that is not people buying it, but actually uh, parts manufacturers. So there were uh, a lot of aftermarket parts that you could get for it, you know, to make it more off-road worthy, uh, including, you know, the usual suspects, better uh, tires, better wheels, bigger lift, um, you know, winches, winch bumpers, um, even snorkels, you know, the stuff that, that makes it look cool. And I got to tell you, uh, the Xterra is one of my favorites in terms of its looks. I think it just looks really rugged and good looks are, to me, important. Uh, the other thing I'd say about the Xterra is I, I spent a lot of time on Craigslist looking at them, and they were driven a lot. Yeah, Finding one with low miles is not going to be easy. But the good news is they'll hold the high mileage no problem. So I actually had a friend in high school, uh, excuse me, college, who bought a first-generation Xterra, which on a good day is probably two to three grand. He paid, I think, $1,000 for his manual transmission, and he's driven it every day for the last three years, not a single issue. So the first-generation models are even more affordable depending on how small your budgets are. And in the uh, in the Frontiers, there is even an option for a supercharged V6. Do you remember the supercharged models? Yeah, our neighbor had one, Tim, remember? Yeah, the it, supercharged ones really hold their value, though. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the first-gen Xterras. I think they've got those kind of weird light covers where the lights are these little round kind of squinty things. I like the later ones that look a little bit more modern. Uh, but, yeah, they're certainly affordable. Uh, you're going to have a lot of miles on them. Uh, and... Um, I'm going to say this, they're a little boring. You know, they're kind of pedestrian. I mean, there's nothing, like, outstanding about them that you'd be like, wow, this is something I really lust after. It's got all the good off-road bits and pieces, but nothing that goes like, you know, like, I mean, it, it's, it's, it was basically, you know, a, a vehicle that people used to drive to work, to haul their kids around. That is very off-road worthy, but, like, they didn't, you know, they didn't come out of the box breaking any new technology or putting any new features on it that you wouldn't be able to get in any foreigner. Yeah, but, you know, they did it for much cheaper. 
Yeah, and, well, and that's that, to, that to a lot of people is very valuable. And speaking of foreigners, that's actually our number nine vehicle. Now, I wanted to include a kind of wide variety of manufacturers on this list, but Toyota's a very hard one because Toyotas hold their value so well. Finding any offer Toyota for five grand is just about impossible. So Land Cruisers, crazy expensive. Hold, hold on, let, let me let me let me interrupt you. Finding any Toyota with under two hundred and fifty thousand miles for under five grand is hard to do. No, you can find them. No, even the foreigners would have two hundred fifty thousand miles at this price point. They're just—they are built so well, and they lasted so long that people mm. really treasure. Yeah, I've been looking four to seven thousand for for a foreigner with two hundred fifty thousand miles is probably getting up there. You know, they do start to fall apart, even if it's a Toyota. I mean, I know a Land Cruiser will easily go two hundred fifty thousand miles, but a foreigner, you're probably like eighty percent used up by the time you get to two hundred fifty thousand miles, and you know that because you've had buddies. I, I disagree. I um, completely. I, no, the seat. Look. I have a buddy, Alex. Yeah. he's got a foreigner three hundred. I'm not talking about like um, when I say used up, it's it's a vehicle that I wouldn't want to spend a lot of time in because it's stinky, because it's had countless amounts of dirty feet and dirty clothes sitting in it. The seat is done, right? It's like you sit in the thing, it's like the steering wheel is all gross and gritty and yucky because it's been used too much. Uh, All the switches are all worn out. I mean, that's that to me is used up. I do not want. A budget off-roader where I have to disinfect the thing every time I get into it. Sorry, done. Used up. If you're a new viewer here, my dad only accepts vehicles that are lined in the prestigious cow leather of Northern Ireland. <laughs> Nothing else will do. This is a budget off-roader. No, no, no. You don't for, want you don't want some grody thing that's all rusty and crappy. Dad, and, for and, five and, grand, you yeah. cannot get a low mileage yeah, Toyota no, off-roader. No, 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 no. You don't want that. The suspension shot. You're going down the road. It's like it's like wallowing down the road. That. that at 250,000 miles, I'm sorry, a foreigner, even if it's done. It's, yeah, I know people, there are people who, who have maintained them, who have swapped out parts uh, on a religious basis, and those are good. But the majority of them I see on Craigslist, somebody's lived in the thing, somebody's smoked in the thing, somebody's eaten in the who thing. Who cares? It's, it's, a, it's gross. It's, it's a budget off-roader. There are colonies of, no. of, of unknown bacteria no. living in that carpet, which is just, ugh, ugh. Hashtag but, germaphobe over here. We're not yes. shopping for luxurious, no, voluptuous, no, 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 everyday no, no, drivers. I, look, I'm, not, I'm not asking for the Bugatti of off-roaders. I just want a clean vehicle that I feel has some life left in it. Well, if you want a low-mileage foreigner, you can't do it for five grand. Yeah, you can. You can. You gotta I look was around. just looking around for them all yeah. morning. The yeah. cheapest one I could find in Denver, $3,900. Right, you know what the important thing there is? What? In Denver. No, I, I disagree. L.A., they're expensive. Anywhere you go, a foreigner off-roader is going to be expensive. The third generations are actually starting to appreciate, which is the ones we're talking to, 95 through 02. They were great vehicles. So, so let's talk about them. The first generations yeah. were basically... Um, they were Toyota trucks. Yeah, they were trucks that they stuck a, a roof on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, removable roof. Removable too. roof, yeah. So yeah. that's the one that looks like a Tacoma... Well, the early Tacomas, before yeah. Tacoma, yeah. And, <laughs> exactly. And you can take the top off, and it's got a seat in the back. Uh, so those are cool. Um, actually, the coolness factor on those is through the roof, but they're getting to the point where they're so old now, I get worried about actually driving it as an everyday driver. Yes. Uh, the other issue, too, the reason I included the third gen is because first and second gen Toyotas had major rust issues, so you very rarely see them for five grand with any kind of bodywork left. So uh, the third generation is... Third generation is when you'd actually start seeing a lot of them on Craigslist and on the roads. Yeah, and when you say rust issues, you don't just mean body. You mean frame rust issues. 
Uh, yeah, all of it. Yeah, yeah, which is really bad. The third gens, though, are much better. They did have bumper rust issues, so you often see the corners rusted out on the bumpers. Yeah. Uh, 3.4 liter V6 is the most common engine you'll ever find in those vehicles. You know, we had one, right? Yeah. Yeah. And once again, I'm going to give it, I'm going to say, you know, it's a, it's a really good off-roader, a little boring. I disagree, Dad. A what? little boring. It, it runs forever, and it'll get you where you need to go. How is that boring? You can be over here with your very exciting off-roader well, broken on the side of the trail, but when my forerunner with 300,000 miles goes because, cruising by... Because w- when we get to the very next one, now all of a sudden you have something that's interesting and uh, is something that has some things that, that you can't get. Sure, you know, mechanically they're a lot more complicated, but it's got pizzazz and it costs the same. And it's something that it is a vehicle that's overlooked. So let's go to the next one, okay, on our list, yep. which is one we actually currently own, and that's the first-generation VW Touareg. Uh, 2002 to 2010, and this is what I'm talking about, right? In that vehicle, unlike the Forerunner, you have a choice of how many engines, Tommy? Um, in the U.S. or abroad? Just in, uh, in general, in the US? yeah, and abroad, like five oh, engines, like right? Five or six engines, right? And in the U.S., there's like four. Yeah, right? there's a six-cylinder. There's uh, there were three in the U.S. There's a six. There's the four, Audi, depending on which. There's which the Audi V8, right? The right. Uh, there's the uh, uh, TDI V10. There's also. The later ones would have had a, like a V6 TDI. Right, too. so all of a sudden you go from like, you know, here's a 4Runner with a V6, right, to here's a Touareg with four different engine choices that you can potentially buy used, right? Then you're getting up into things like, um, well, ours is incredible. I mean, it, it is a technological tour de force. We paid just under five, five and a half thousand for it. 4,600. Yeah, just under five, okay, just under 5,000. And just name the features that it, that it has. It had like 116,000 miles on it when we bought it. Yeah. It was a little hail damaged, but incredible in terms of not only the off-road features, but also the luxury and comfort features. So let's just, let's just go through what makes it exciting in my book, right? You have Air suspension. Yep. With like four different levels. Yeah, I know. I love the Touareg. 12 inches of ground clearance. A center locking diff was standard. A rear locking diff was optional. A tremendous amount of low range grunt uh, with the standard low range. They are incredible off road vehicles. A cooled glove box, Tommy. A cooled glove yeah, box. Yeah, I know. I mean, you got leather. I, I mean, this is what I'm talking about, right? The cool thing about getting these, that car probably would have been, what, $10,000, $20,000 more. Uh, than a four foreigner. Oh, more than that. When it was probably new. twenty or thirty thousand. Yeah, and, and you know, at that point, we couldn't afford it. Now you can afford it if the thing is maintained. If you find the right one, you can get get this under the rear seat. There's a hose right where you can air up and air down your tires, your bed, whatever you want. That I love the Touareg. Right, uh, it's my my all time favorite SUV. Okay, but when you're out there on your Touareg in the heart of Central Nevada, in right on a hundred and twenty degree day. Yeah. And you have anything go wrong with that water-cooled alternator, your your cooled glove box is not going to do much good when I come cruising by in my ratty forerunner. Yeah, but let's face it. Most people aren't going to be in the middle of Death Valley driving this thing. Okay, you know, so that's, you, that's what people have in their head. But most people are going to be driving it around town and maybe taking it off-road on the The school weekends. run, right? The school run. Yeah. If your air compressor and your suspension fails on your school run, yeah. that's thousands of dollars. Yeah, of I course. love the Touareg, but... That's why I'm saying you got to find a sorted they're one. They're very interesting, but even sorted, Dad, they are expensive to fix. Have you seen the stack of service records on ours? 20 grand plus in They're out records. there, guys. They're out there. You gotta, yes, but you, the reason they're so cheap is because they aren't reliable. 
They just aren't. No, I think the reason they're so cheap is because they're. I wouldn't say they aren't reliable. They're expensive to maintain. They are unreliable. Okay, yeah. I love the Touareg, but no, they no, are there not are some reliable. Li- there are some cars on this list that are unreliable. We'll get to those next. But I would say they're expensive to maintain. Um, they're more reliable than the next car on our list. But they're cool. And I will, pay, cool, yeah. I will pay all day long for that coolness feature because, you know, we had that third-gen foreigner for, what, three, four years when, when we had it? And, uh, you know, it, it was a fine truck, but getting into, oh, my God, the sliding, heating controls, it was just so boring. Look, don't boring, get me wrong. Boring. Between a Touareg and a Foreigner, I would take the Touareg. I think they are cooler. Yeah. They're more interesting. They're more rare. They're more unusual. They can be just as off-road worthy. But for someone out there who isn't wheeling with 14 other friends in a trailer in the back of vehicle to pick them up when it breaks, the Foreigner is just, so, just let, a better let, choice. Let, let me ask you this. Out of all the off-road vehicles we have right now, what's the one that we get an email from people that they want to buy? I agree, the Volkswagen. It's it's very cool, Dad. It's very. I love the. It's like I said, it's my all-time favorite SUV. And look, look. I think the other thing you're completely ignoring here: people who are buying these things aren't buying them as a primarily primary mode of transportation. I don't think. I think if you're buying a car for five thousand dollars and if it's your primary mode of transportation, you should not be looking at any of these vehicles for the most part because they're all going to have issues. These are like fun project vehicles that you're not going to pay a lot, that you're going to go wheeling on the weekends. If you really want to go and use this as your primary vehicle, uh, which might be the case for some people because budgets are tight, right? Right. Uh, then I would certainly you know, put the Forerunner above the Touareg. But in my mind, this is a vehicle I'm going to drive you know, three, four, five thousand 5,000 miles a year, uh, and so I'm not that concerned about the reliability. The one, of course, to avoid is... Uh, the TDI and the yeah. V10s, yeah, those are that's, very. That's the most. That's the most sought after. You know how much. Um, you know how much. It's a big job repairing any of those. Apparently, the alternators you can do from the top of the engine. Yeah. But anything else, you have to remove the you subframe. Have to pull the engine. Yeah, you have to, to to pull down the subframe on them. Look, I, don't get me wrong. Touaregs are amazing off-road, fantastic cars. But realistically, it's it's a, just hard for me to recommend them to someone looking for a an all-around budget off-roader. All right, I would highly recommend them. We've got a. Disagree, agree to disagree there, Tommy. So number seven on our list, we actually uh, own two of them, so we're very familiar with it. It's the uh, Land Rover Discovery, um, the uh, 1, 2, or LR3. If you're in Europe, it's a Disco 1, 2, 3. If you're in America, it's a Disco 1, 2, LR3. They range from two to $7,000. You can get them for $5,000 all day long from 1994 to 2009. Uh, and we'll tell you which ones to avoid, but uh, let's talk about the one. The one's kind of the coolest, the Disco 1. Yeah, and arguably the best. The Disco 1s are just very simple. So it's the classic squared-off Land Rover shape uh, with solid axles, both front and rear, uh, you know, body-on-frame construction, and an old-school V8. <laughs> you know, that's, that's it. There's not a lot of electronics in the Disco Ones. They're not very comfortable compared to the newer stuff, but very, very good off-road. They were the Camel Trophy models, right? Yeah. Competed all over the world. Surprisingly brilliant. The Discovery 2s, they took the legendary Discovery 1 platform and made it worse. <laughs> so the Discovery 2s have over 700 changes, most of them worse. Um, I'm just kidding. I love their Discovery 2. Uh, same thing, old school design. Had a little bit more problems, a little bit more electronics. And then LR3, which we have in the garage right now, totally new architecture. It's a unibody it's body. It's when BMW frame. bought the brand. Well, it's Ford. Ford. Ford developed BMW, the LR3, yeah. yeah. Um, in that transition period. Yeah, totally different V8s that are much more reliable than the early ones. So, little air suspension. So if you want a cool vehicle that's as unreliable as they get, any of those three will do <laughs> uh, because there are uh, three – 
critical failures that they all experience. Uh, well, we should clarify the, the the twos specifically. Yeah, the twos, the twos, and the ones in some way. I mean, the, the, the engine, the, the head gasket goes on all of them because one and two share the same engine. Yep, the threes were much better though. Yeah. Discovery threes are very good. Yeah, it's a different yeah. engine. Uh-huh. So it's it, it's the, the one and two have the old Buick engine, and uh, they boarded it out, then they put. Um, uh, these steel, sleeves, yeah, sleeves steel and, cylinder liners. Yeah, yeah, and then the cylinder liners would let go, and then they would start hitting against the head gasket, and then the head gasket would fail, and you're done. In uh, the two, they put in their first application of uh, basically uh, trail management, right? Well, it's traction control. Well, so yeah. you had this issue where the ABS wheel speed sensors would fail. And you get the three Amigos. Yeah, and, so and that so was a failure of ABS traction control and hill descent, yeah. And in the, the two, uh, the drive shafts would also rust and break. In all of them, especially the twos, the uh, sunroofs leak, uh, which is not good over time. Uh, various parts of them start to fall off, given enough use. Um, there's just, you know, the, the failure points are, are everywhere, uh, but they are way cool. And the ones that we've had have been really reliable. So we had the Disco 2. And by the way, I think in the 13, what year was it where, oh, was it, oh, what year was it where they got rid of the center diff, but it was still there? The, 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 yeah. the, so when they went to Discovery 2 yeah. in um, 99, yep. um, they got rid of the center diff lock and went to traction control. But then they brought it back for one year only in 2004 with the Discovery 2. So there was a, a period of about five years where you couldn't get the center diff lock. The one we had had the center diff lock. It was an incredible off-road, very comfortable, amazing seating position. And we didn't drive it all that much because we just used it for our off-road trips and projects. So yeah. it really didn't break. And I also forgot the major failure point, which will all... Uh, happened to, and that is, of course, the air suspension. So ours was converted to uh, leaf springs, and so we got rid of the air suspension. Uh, ours never had air suspension. You sure? It never had it. Sure? No, nope. it was an option on the two. Anyway, it will fail on you. Yeah, so the LR3s in the U.S. all have air suspension, yeah. and they will fail. Yeah. Uh, the threes, in case you're wondering, the LR3s or Discovery 3s, depending on where you are in the world, are much better in terms of their engines. Um, their drivetrains are kind of stronger. They don't have the exploding drive shaft issues. Um, they're more comfortable. They're bigger. But they also, here in the U.S., all had the air suspension, which made them very good off-road, but also meant that um, when they fail, it's like a, a squatty potty, right? It just goes, yeah, sinks you don't to wanna, the ground. Yeah, and, and you stuck. don't want to be off-road, and you certainly don't even want to be on-road when that happens, and it will happen. Uh, avoid Range Rover uh, PR, P38s. Yep, and cool, the f- but uh, problematic. Avoid uh, the full-size Range Rover, usually the SAG. Uh, HSE, yeah. HSE, yeah. So the P38s were, were a, um, a development on the brilliant Range Rover Classic, yeah. which made them really worse. Yeah. Uh, and then the Range Rover HSE, the full-size models, the early ones used the BMW engine, which was horrible. Just just a terrible engine that had all sorts of issues. So avoid those early ones. You can both you can get both of those for under five grand, but those are cheap for a reason. Yeah, you know, I, I would just say stay away from the Range Rovers if you really want to go off road. I know the Range Rover Sport and the Disco are in, in some generations are identical. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, I would just say avoid the 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 Range Rover. Stick with the Land Rover LR LRs or Discos, um, and um, you know, you can get them like I said all day long from two to seven thousand, which is. A real off-road bargain. And, so no, and, and they're lovable. They're really lovable. They're like that old shaggy dog. Once you have one, uh, you, you want more. Number six on our list is an old-school American icon. Uh, we're talking about the Wrangler. Now, you're probably thinking, how do you get a Wrangler for $5,000? You get the square headlight one. Yeah, you, you got to get the one everyone hates. Um, but it's actually really great. So <laughs> you had it. You've had it. Yeah, I did. I had the it for YJ. a few years. Yep. So it's called the Wrangler YJ. And the thing about Wranglers is even old ones really hold their value super well. 
So the uh, like a TJ, which was a next gen in 2000, 2002, those are still going to be eight, nine grand realistically. But the square headlight ones built in the late 80s through the mid 90s, um, you can have for between four and seven grand. And even though their headlights may be a little weird, they are still just as good as any other Wrangler CJ. Yeah. yeah, so so the CJ came before the YJ, and that's the one that looks uh, very tall and narrow, right? It's got the round lights. It's a cool-looking um, Jeep uh, Wrangler before the Wrangler name, but the problem with it was it was a little agrarian, right? It was a little basic. Uh, and so when the YJ came along, they made it wider, and they, it's the first Jeep that they made kind of like – on-road friendly as opposed to just this, you know, pure off-roader. Uh, and people hated it, I think, because of the square headlights because they were used to that iconic Jeep face. Uh, but it's a really good Jeep, you know. They um, put a lot of development into it. They softened up the ride. Um, it still has solid axles. It still has leaf springs. So, you know, when I say softened up the ride, take that with a, you know, with a big grain of salt. Um, but in general, um, you know, they're what you think of as a modern Wrangler, uh, and they're affordable, except that you've got to be careful what engine and what transmission you get. So what would you recommend, Tommy? Well, any four-cylinder is great. The four-cylinder is really good, even though it's slow. It's they're really well-made. 2.5-liter four-cylinders. Um, ancient design, but all fuel injected. The early six-cylinder YJs used a carryover from the CJ, so it's a carbureted 4.2 straight six. Once again, a good engine, but people don't like fussing with the carburetors now. It's just it's old tech. That's not the one you you, you really want. The one you really want is the, the later four-liter straight six. So the four-liter is arguably one of the best Jeep engines ever. One of the best engines ever. Period. Yeah, really, really strong engine, and those are great. So. Uh, straight six with the five-speed manual, the AX15, is definitely the one you want to find, or the three-speed automatic is fine, too. And, and I would go further than that. I would pretty much avoid any Jeep with an automatic. If you guys love automatics or you don't necessarily know how to drive um, a stick shift, a Jeep with a stick is like, you know, gold. Uh, so I would I would go for the stick shift, even though off-road, the automatic is a little bit easier and a little bit better, uh, but the stick shift is much more engaging. Of course, it's you know going to be a Wrangler or YJ in this case, uh, so it's going to be a convertible, so you're going to get that. You know, uh, great thing about these is that they're so relatively inexpensive that you can just put on a bikini top, and even if you're someplace in California, you know, keep the top off of it. Uh, they had this kind of funky air conditioner that was, like, uh, strapped onto the thing. It wasn't really built into it. It was kind of stuck to the bottom of the dashboard. Uh, square gauges, which I love, which look really cool, uh, but the ride is pretty rough. Yeah, they're not super comfy, I agree, and, and they're no, not super safe. But And no locking diffs. No, but all that – the great thing about anything Wrangler is unlike your the, the Touareg, right, um, the aftermarket community is immense. Yeah. So anything you want to do to a YJ, you can do for super cheap. And, and with solid axles, super easy to lift. You yeah. can put a block lift underneath it. You can go more suspension lift. And, and there's just such a incredible diversity of parts – from many, many manufacturers that you could make that Jeep your own, and it won't be expensive. Remember when we first got it, and, like, the headlight went out, and we were like, oh, we have no money, and we went to the parts store, and how much was the headlight? It was like nine bucks. Yeah, exactly. That's I, the great thing about Jeeps. I wouldn't be afraid of the automatic. It's, Yours it's, was an automatic. It's not as much fun, yeah. but it's still, unlike some of the later Chrysler automatics that were a disaster, uh, it was an old-school three-speed automatic, and it, was, it just worked. So it was very yeah, and common parts that wear out, like the like the lever which is on the column wears out, uh, the ignition switch wears out, uh, the um, the uh, yours had the tr- uh, I think it had the um, cruise control and that switch wore out right. 
Well, sure. And yeah, the turn any, signal any switch places you, So, you so my, my rule of thumb, Tommy, and you know this, is I like to get a car with right around 100,000 miles. That's, yeah. kind of, that's kind of the sweet point because afterwards all these things you start to wear out and you end up having to replace a lot of things. And if you like working on your Jeeps, it's affordable, it's easy, but you do have to replace stuff. I appreciate the mentality, Dad, but it's hard to find some of these with under 100K. Even the Wranglers all have 150 in some cases. Well, easier than like Forerunners because a lot of people bought Wranglers uh, and they use them as vacation vehicles or they had them towed. The one you got, for instance, was towed behind a uh, yeah the RVs. RV, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of them that weren't like daily drivers. So the next vehicle on our list is kind of an oddball one. Well, it's kind of oddball for the U.S., but elsewhere in the world it's a go-to. So here in the U.S. it was called the Mitsubishi Montero. Abroad it's known as the Pajero. And in fact, here in the U.S. it was actually sold as well under the name Dodge Raider. And the first-generation Montero sold between 82 and 91 are brilliant. Um, the ones you find here in the U.S. typically have a 3-liter V6, and they're just awesome vehicles. They're kind of like a Discovery, but a little bit more tinny and a lot more reliable. Three to 6000 so certainly within the price range. Yep, huge rust issues once again. So you got to find one that hasn't been totally rusted out. Uh, but some funny facts about the Montero I actually didn't know. Did you know that the very first Camel Trophy was actually competed with Mitsubishi Mon- uh, Pajeros? Yeah, I think I, I somehow in the back of my head remember that now that you said it. I mean, when I was growing up, those were kind of cool cars because not only were they uh, in the Camel Trophy, they were also in Dakar, right? The Pajero. Oh, amazing. The, the Pajero was, you know, and this is when Mitsubishi was starting to kind of reach its peak in off-roadiness, right? And, um, well, I shouldn't say off-roadiness. They, they developed a really good engineering department that focused on off-road vehicles that, that of course, led to the Evo, um, started with the Pajero and the Monteros, and, you know, they developed some of the best off-road four-wheel drive systems, just a really super engineering team, and then it all came crashing down eventually, which is unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, Mitsubishi's, um, you know, in their glory days, they were up there with the best of them, uh, and it's kind of sad to see how far that brand has now fallen from its heyday in terms of its off-roadiness. Now, there were a couple other generations that followed this one in the United States, but this is really the coolest one, the first gens. You could get them in both short and long wheelbase, depending on what you needed, and fully restored ones now are actually, they're fetching pretty pennies. So get them while you still can, because they're getting more expensive for ones that aren't full of holes. And didn't, didn't one of them, if I remember right, also get the like the floaty seat, where you could actually have like like a truck yeah, driver's seat? Yeah, they had like a, a suspension seat yeah. that, would, that would operate. I think it was air compressed, unlike compressed. Yeah, I mean, they just did some of the coolest engineering. The problem with them is finding them because, um, you know, they were not as popular as, like, Forerunners, right? So they didn't sell as many. Uh, and then, like you said, rust. You can find them, but they're pretty rusty. Head gaskets on those 3-liter V6s are also kind of a known failure point. But other than that, it's very mechanical. Right? All right. There's nothing that, that, that you can't fix. All right, the number four car we currently own, what is it? Yeah, um, it's a uh, the first-generation Mercedes ML. And only the first. Don't oh. go second or third because? Only the first. The first was the only one available in the U.S., important. Only one available in the U.S. with a low-range transfer case. The only one ever body-on-frame construction. Mercedes came out of the, uh, the, the bat really swinging with this this vehicle initially the design proposal was to replace a g-wagon yeah yeah so initially all of these first gen mercedes crossovers and i'm saying crossovers because that's what they turned into were really suvs right right so back in the day they were designing body on frame 
uh, trucks, as we would call them, on TFL truck. Uh, uh, and then eventually they figured out that it's much more fuel efficient, it's easier to develop unibody vehicles, and they went away from that. But the first generations were you know, built tough, uh, and they were certainly family haulers, so a lot of people didn't use them off-road, so a lot of people don't know that these things are actually really good off-road. Yeah, they are really good off-road. Open center differential. There was yep. no center diff lock available. But even still, they use something called the Ford ETS traction control system. And, you know, you put the thing in low range, you know, you, you push down on either a 3.2 or a 4.3 V8 on the early ones, and, and the thing will just figure it out. <laughs> they are, they're really solidly made, too. Um, they, they, they garnered the reputation as the Alabama trash can. Because it was, you know, the first Mercedes built in Alabama, built yeah, built in the U.S., which was a huge deal, and they were known for high failure rates, so everything on the interior would break on them. But the stuff that made them go, like the engine, the transmission, the transfer case, the four-wheel drive system, was very good. So even though uh, you know, like the radios may fail and the window regulators may fail, uh, the the things that you need to work on those cars will always work. So common engines on the early models: three point two V six, four point three V eight. Some had a 5-liter V8, and then the top dog was a... The AMG. Yeah, the AMG, the ML55. Yeah, but that one you don't want because it's lowered. It's got funky sports suspension. It's actually got the stuff you don't want to It would be fun, road. though, because those also had the low-range transfer case. It'd yeah, be it fun would, to have, like, a 360-horsepower off-roader. It, it would be fun, but now you're making the exact opposite argument because it's going to be the one that's going to be the most expensive to fix and the one that you're not going to want to bash on. We should explain, though, so expensive, right? You, you hear AMG, you think high dollar signs. <laughs> There's one AMG on Craigslist right now in Denver, uh, ML55, for $3,600. So these cars... Expensive just, to fix. Expensive to fix-ish, ish, but um, the cars are super cheap to buy, so... You can get a really good one so we, we between bought, two and four. We bought ours from some friends in Atlanta. We drove it back, and right before the Denver International Airport, our alternator failed, and we got stranded. Uh, and then uh, we actually fixed the alternator in the parking lot of a gas station uh, because it's so simple, right? The nice thing about these things are uh, they're really simple. They, they, you know, Usually Mercedes puts a lot of engineering. I think in this first generation there was not a lot. It was a much-hated car. I remember watching a Jeremy Clarkson review of the thing, and he completely and utterly hated it because uh, the Europeans, sorry if you're listening to this in Europe, just don't understand the way that we off-road. Uh, and so to them, you know, driving the thing off-road was stupid because it's never done, at least in most parts of Europe. And uh, it was just a waste of um, fuel and technology to have this much weight and this much um, off-road worthiness in a car. And eventually, of course, it became the GL, which is still built here in America. Yeah, and then the GLE. And the GLE. And, um, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a fun vehicle. Oh, the one- shoot, it wasn't actually. No? It became ML and then GLE. Yeah, the GL was the bigger one. Remember, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm saying it, it went from the designation of ML to GL. GLE, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? There, was there? <laughs> well, a, yeah, there was a bigger one. Yeah, yeah. So the GL was a seven seater. Right, Remember right. that in like yeah. the mid 2000s? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, uh, the one that we have has a cloth seats. You know, yeah, it's they're really pretty cool. Yeah, I think that Europeans understand off roading because they built a G wagon, right? Not the, yeah, but not the way that we do it. But they didn't understand like why the you, family vehicle, yeah, yeah. the family off roader, right? I mean, they thought that was weird. I actually, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, I'm not being fair. Okay, Europeans understand off roading. Land Rover builds great vehicles. Mercedes builds a G wagon. Um, you know, they do understand off roading, but they don't understand the way that we off road here in America. Or I don't even understand. They just have not been exposed to the way that we off road. Right? I lived in Europe, and I lived in both places. And there's no place like Moab, Utah, in Europe. 
right? You, you can't just go and cover basically a, a piece of land the size of Germany without having any roads across it, which is something you can do here in America. And that is a, that is a hard, hard thing to do unless you've actually been there. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, number three. Number three on our list is the S10 Blazer, so the Chevrolet Compact SUV. Specifically, the later Blazers are really cool. So um, With the ZR2 package. Yeah, like closer to 2005, toward the end of uh, production. So the ZR2 Blazers were two doors. They were lifted three inches. They were wider than the standard Blazer. They had underbody protection. Uh, just really strong off-road vehicles available with a rear-locking diff, and they look super cool. This was kind of like a, a diamond in the rough. You can pick up Blazers all day long for fifteen hundred bucks to four grand, and the old-school squared ones. Remember, like from the seventies, those have gotten expensive. But these late model Blazers are small, compact, pretty reliable, and very good off-road. Yeah, and I throw a bonus. I think the, the Bronco as well, not the. Bronco 2, but the O.J. Simpson Bronco. We'll get there in a sec. That's the next one. Yeah, those are getting uh, up there as well. So they're they're kind of in that same uh, realm. Uh, The great thing about the Blazers is they're just uh, badass, you know? I mean, you'd have a hard time finding a cooler-looking vehicle than a Blazer, especially off-road. And, um, you know, bulletproof engines, easily switchable, easily modifiable, um, just, you know, a great alternative to a Wrangler if you want something that's not, you know, Jeep, but you want to go Chevy. Well, throughout the 90s, the Cherokee really stole all the, the kind of the limelight. But the Cherokee was built in response to the Blazer, um, or somewhat vice versa, but they were both very good. I, I think the reason the Cherokee, the XJ, gets so much attention is the solid front axle. But even with um, independent front on especially the later Blazers, they were very modifiable and uh, very affordable not quite as reliable as probably that straight six in the Jeep, but the 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 V sixes they used in them were were good. They were they were good little engines. I think the biggest problem is they were Chevys, right? The the Cherokees were Cherokee Jeeps, and so Jeeps always had that off road reputation, whereas Chevy, you know, hasn't. And so if people wanted to go off road, initially they would just think of the Cherokee uh, as opposed to the Blazer, uh, and that's probably why you know there's a lot more Cherokees that are modifiable and out there than there are Blazers. All right, number. Oh, wow. We're down to number two, Tommy. What's number two on our list? So speaking of Broncos, um, the... (laughs) The first generation is too expensive, so don't even think about it. Yeah. Broncos from the 60s and even 70s and even early 80s are getting very expensive. But the late 80s or early 90s, Ford F-Series trucks as well as the Broncos, the brick-nose era of vehicles, are really cheap, and they are virtually indestructible I would off-road. Say, I would say they're like bargains right now. If you're looking for something that, that is uh, you know, the go-to that's not expensive that people haven't discovered, that's the one to go with. On the F-Series trucks, we're talking 87 through 91. Yep. And the reason they're called brick nose is because just like our truck, Gunsmoke, there is basically no design to the front end, right? I mean, yep. it's, it's a slab-sided as you could possibly imagine. But, for example, like our truck, our um, F-350, had an IDI diesel which made no power but would go forever. Uh, solid axles in the front, Dana 60 in the rear, some massive Sterling axle, manual transmissions, and that, that's, the end, that's the end of the list, right? Manual locking hubs and just properly uh, solid vehicles. Uh, for example, the 4.9 straight six 
or virtually indestructible, and you can pick them all day long for two to five grand. You know, you know I think that's a really great suggestion that you have there, uh, and it's something I actually want to do over at TFL Talking Trucks, which is a truck podcast, and that is focus on the most affordable off-road trucks. Okay. You know, when I say trucks, I don't mean body on frame at this point. I mean, you know, things with the bed. Uh, so what is number one on our list, Tommy? Well, number one, I actually had something else, but you've insisted otherwise, so I'll go with my <laughs> choice. Uh, the Grand Cherokees. So the first gen- first generation is called ZJ, and then the second generation sold through 04, the WJs. Both of them are properly brilliant, but you insisted that we include the Cherokee as well. Yeah, so let's first talk about the... Uh, the ZJ and the WJ, the Grand Cherokee. And the reason I think this is number one on our list is because they're ubiquitous, right? They're everywhere. Uh, they're about as cheap as chips. Um, they come with a plethora of different engines. Uh, but the one I would get, of course, is the Hemi, which has been around forever. So, you hmm. know, you can get the V6. You don't like the Hemi. Well, this generation would have had the straight six, a four liter. Right. And then I don't think these ever got the Hemi. Uh, there, was a, there was a smaller V8, right? The well, so the, the ZJs had like a 5.2 V8 yeah. and a 5.9. The WJs, I think, had like a 4.7. But that precluded the classic 5.7 Hemi. The you don't think at the end you got the Hemi? Uh, I don't I think, think so. I, I think because I, I, I was looking for one because we wanted to buy it. That was WK. That was, that was Aunt Mary's generation. Yeah, but you can get to a WK, I think, for 5,000 too. It's, yeah, but those were not as good. Yeah, yeah those you, weren't as good. Let's talk about um, some of the failures on these, uh, the ZJs, especially at automatic transmission failures. Yeah, there's a kind of a disaster. Um, only like, like one year of first-generation Grand Cherokee that wouldn't grenade its transmission. Um, but the second generations of WJs were just better in almost every way, even if they were kind of less exciting to look at. They were more comfortable. Um, the engine was more powerful, less torquey, but more powerful. And, uh, you know, depending on which all-wheel drive system you, you, you got, um, some of them were like torque vectoring, you know, like vi- viscous coupling kind of deals. There, so, there's a lot of different four-wheel drive transmissions available oh, in, yeah. in, a Cher- in a Grand Cherokee. So just, you know, know what you're getting into before you get one. And they're all not the same. They all do different things. But all day long... Select so track is, is, I think... Well, if I remember right, I think the ones you want in the WJ was called Quadradrive. Quadradrive. That's like your quadradrive. quadradrive, yeah. And then... Those are hard to find, actually. The you ones you don't with. want, in 04, they made a single-speed transfer case. Yeah, that's those, no good. Those are no good. But regardless of first or second-gen Grand Cherokees, super cheap. We're talking like a grand to four grand in most cases. Uh, if you get the, the four-liter <laughs> straight six, which was available across these model years, just super reliable. They would just simply go forever and they were good off-road, and the modifiable aspect of them is is pretty good as well. And, of course, the one that I wanted, and it, we'll call it our bonus or we'll call it Roman's Choice, is, of course, the Cherokee. Not the current generation, but the square-bodied one uh, that you had, actually. Um, you had a 91, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They built them for, like, 20 years. 84 through uh, and, and I'll tell you why. Because, first of all, the design is iconic. You can't get more iconic than a squared Cherokee if you want to call it an XJ, if you're into that, call it an XJ. It has the most iconic Jeep engine ever built, which is the straight six four liter. Uh, it is solid axles, so it's incredibly easy to modify. There are a ton of parts for them, and unlike a Wrangler, um, they're actually usable to go overlanding because they've got really great 
utility, right? So you've got a really usable uh, space in the back. You can put four people into it comfortably. Um, for the most part, they're about as bulletproof as you can get because they're dead simple. Um, and when you do them upright, if, if you do them up, um, give it, let's say, a two to four inch lift. Maybe I would maybe go 35s with, with as big as I would go. Um, and, you know, a winch and some bumpers, they just look incredible. To me, they're kind of the definition of the all-American off-roader that is usable for overlanding with tons of space. I think, you know, the, the Jeep Wrangler is still probably more of an iconic, better-looking one. But if you need something with space, if you need something that's modifiable, if you need something you can fix anywhere in the world, this is the vehicle. They have gotten quite expensive. It depends. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, you can, you can they're everywhere in Denver at least on Craigslist, uh, and they range anywhere from like completely, you know, clapped out ones for two thousand dollars to you know completely done up ones that are ready to go around the world or rock climbing, maybe even as much as ten thousand dollars. Right. So there's this big range. Well, I would say more than that. I mean, maybe more depending if you, how fancy you get. Right. The issue is uh, based on your earlier comments. Your your nice leather tailored bottom yep. will want a low mileage one, and low mileage ones are upwards of ten grand now. You know, like well, some have sold. You sold yours for ten. Yeah, but it it, it was, was pristine. Yes, but it wasn't like that. It, it wasn't that great. It's still it still it was miles. completely original and pristine, right. and everything about it was original. So people always pay for originality. But and, like ten years ago, that would have been like a four. Yeah, Jeep, but but look, the, like if you want the classic, if you want the one that a lot of people want, which is a two door, so they they did make a two door. With a manual transmission, that one's going to be expensive if you can find one. Right? It's funny. I had a big argument with someone about this online. Yeah. Uh, half the community loves the two-door Cherokees, and the other half doesn't get them. Hmm. Because, like, they were – the great thing about the Cherokees, they were so utilitarian. And it, when you had the two-door version, it wasn't as utilitarian, and they looked kind of weird. They had these super long doors. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in some cases, a nice two-door will be more expensive than a nice four-door because they didn't make as many. So anyway, th- there you have it, guys. It's our list of the uh, top 10, or in this case, the top 11 uh, affordable budget off-roaders that you can get for around, around, right around $5,000. I'm sure there's some others that you think we've missed, so we'd love to know if you're watching this as a video in the video below. If you're listening to this as a podcast, let us know as well. Uh, and maybe we'll do round two of this because, you know, you could go on and on and on about this. Uh, but the great thing is, um, I think the great thing about these are that anything that you go and take off-road, you're likely to damage. And when you're taking new vehicles off-road, to me especially, that's very painful. Whereas when you're taking old vehicles off-road, it just feels fine to damage it because they're, you know, they're meant to be used and abused in some ways. And so it's just cool. Which one of these 10 would you buy? If you had $5,000. If I had $5,000, I'd buy an XJ, which is the Cherokee. I love it. Mm-hmm. I would buy... Well, you you got to choose one. You, like the viewers out there, you have to choose one. Ooh, I'd probably go with the Tourag. I just love our Tourag. I, I, I love that kind of, um, I love that kind of um, mixture of German... It's, it was their moonshot, right? Sophistication and an off-road cred that the vehicle has. It'd be tough. It'd be between the... Oh, God. I'm going to give you three. I'd buy the last... Uh, the, ones, the ones we bought. I mean, you know, we bought them. How about you? Um, I think it would... I think all these are fantastic choices. I would just have to see it in person. I mean, I don't think you can really go wrong with any of these as long as it's the right, like, car. You know, if it's low mileage enough, it's been well-maintained, they're all going to make you happy, I think. 
Yeah, but you're, you're wiggling out of it. Pick one. You made me pick one, <laughs> so you pick one. Um, best all-rounder. I'll give you the top three. Okay, the three I would definitely buy are the XJ, the Land Rover, and the Touareg. I'd probably do Touareg, Touareg YJ, and then any of the Discoveries. Discovery 1 or 3. Probably the best all-rounder for me would be the LR3. Um, yeah, probably LR3. I just think it combines. First of all, it's you get a, a lot of truck in the LR3. It's amazing how much you, you get. You get a yeah. lot of truck in that one. Yeah. And but, you, but they're hard to modify. They are hard to modify. So, you know, surprisingly, the LR3 seems to have kind of slipped through the gap of the horrendous landover unreliability. Yeah. Like the LR3s are typically the ones that will go the longest with the least problems. I love the Touareg. I really do. If it was our Touareg, I would take that all day long, but it's just so hard to find the right Volkswagen out there. Yeah. They're just. You're, you spend so many hours. H- having said that, Tommy, we did buy, and we didn't include this, right? We did buy a four-cylinder TJ for $5,000. Yeah, that was really good. Our budget, you know, really our, our budget Jeep, right? But that, <laughs> Our cheap Jeep project. That was not a very desirable TJ. That was the automatic four-cylinder. <laughs> but this, we did. The other ones, too. We missed, like, the Samurai. Yeah. Remember we had the Samurai? Yeah, of course. Nathan's got that right now. Yeah. Um, and our, our square body uh, Chevy Chevy K10 was also five thousand dollars. Cayenne's you can buy Cayenne's now for five grand. Yeah, I would avoid that. Very expensive <laughs> to fix though. <laughs> anyway, let us know. Let us know in the comment section below uh, which one would you get, and head over to tflcar.com because we've got a lot more of these podcasts coming. Yeah, and guys, if you're enjoying this, also don't forget that wherever podcasts aren't sold because they're free, uh, you can <laughs> check out uh, our Talking Trucks podcast where uh, this week. We got a chance to have an in-depth conversation with uh, the head of the Wrangler slash Gladiator, their chief engineer, talking about what makes a Mojave a Mojave. So that's going to be over at TFL Talking Trucks. And, of course, check out TFL Car, TFL Now, TFL Off-Road, TFL... All of it. Wait, wait. Classics, which oh, you run. Yep, there you go. Yeah, that's good, your... Good that's catch. Your, yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> what, what did you do in TFL Classics this week? What What, what video... Um, I oh, I keep forgetting the title. It's very clever, I thought. Okay. Um, top. It was the top ten really bad versions of really cool cars. So essentially, specific models or specific trims or specific engines of really kind of iconic vehicles that made them surprisingly terrible. So that'll be living over at TFL Classics that Tommy runs. Uh, and um, yeah, thanks for watching and thank you for listening to uh, the most popular automotive podcast out there, right? I'm not sure that's true. It may not be true. All right, <laughs> see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.